All right, everybody, don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they're located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. Ascentia CPA has a team of new-gen chartered professional accountants that are dedicated to advancing companies using expertise combined with emerging technologies. The team at Ascentia will implement the latest accounting technologies, allowing you to not only run a business, but to run a smart business that will excel in your industry. Their focus is to provide growth-centric, value-added, and timely accounting services for businesses, as well as individuals across Canada. Unlike standard accounting firms, by embracing cloud-based software, the team at Ascentia will provide you with real-time accounting information on a secure platform that is accessible anywhere at any time, allowing you to make better informed decisions and gain more controlled overview of your financial data. The reliability and expertise you will experience with the professionals at Ascentia will assist you in the preparation of corporate and personal tax returns, financial statements, bookkeeping, government filings, tax and estate planning, as well as business advisory services. For more information on the advantages of online accounting and to book a complimentary meeting online, be sure to visit ascentiacpa.ca. We are I. All right, Helena. So again, we're just going to get jump right into this because we are on a little bit of a, a time crunch today. And 
that brain is just full of a ton of information that I want to know. And you just shared an experience with me that I had no idea about before we started this. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Like start peeling the onion skins back. Like, you know, Helda was born and then what happened from there, what led you down this path, just spill the beans and let's start probing from there. Okay. Well, actually my upbringing is, you know, plays a big part in it because I grew up in Poland in a very good Catholic family. <laughs> so I had all this like very strong religious upbringing, which is significant here because religion that, you know, like condition us very strongly around our sexuality, around our bodies and around our pleasure in a way that, you know, it's kind of infuses our erotic experience with shame and guilt and embarrassment and that's exactly what my experience was or my kind of early conditioning was around sexuality that it's you know it's shameful it's wrong it's bad you know yeah maybe like if you when you're married you have kids you, you have you have sex in order to have kids but other than that it's just this horrible sinful thing that you know some people do <laughs> yeah. it's which is you know which is completely kind of wrong idea about our sexuality but that's how this kind of religious or social conditioning can sort of influence us especially in those early years and this is significant because over the years when I actually started having sex this was still all this conditioning all this kind of these toxic beliefs and these limiting thought patterns were still kind of sitting at the background for me not allowing me to really fully embrace my sexuality. So when I was having sex with my, with my early boyfriend, it was an uncomfortable experience. Like I couldn't really fully relax. I couldn't really get aroused. I couldn't really lubricate. Like, you know, like forget about orgasms, you know, like never orgasm from, from sex. And so because there was this kind of tension, both in my body and energetically, in my mind, in my emotions around the whole topic of sex it was such a taboo for me I couldn't really fully give myself to it and hence I was kind of just like traumatizing my body mm -hmm. more and more with these uncomfortable unpleasant experiences because you can't I'm sorry can you hear that noise? oh totally fine Oh, so fine. Okay. <laughs> so you can't really have a beautiful sexual experience if you are tense, if you're kind of withdrawing energetically because you consider the activity wrong or, or bad, etc. On top of that, I was actually raped when I was 18. So that was, I was still a virgin at that point. So, you know, these kind of early sexual experiences yeah. for me were not exactly pleasant or not exactly welcoming me or initiating me in a beautiful way into the world of sex I was more kind of traumatized into the into the world of sex yeah so because of that for many many years my sex life was just hard in terms of me struggling trying to have you know a lot of pleasure trying to have beautiful orgasms trying to have beautiful experiences with my partners and completely failing at that and in the end after many years just realizing okay well obviously other people have great sex i will never have that pleasure yeah. <laughs> so I, I literally just kind of gave up in my i guess after about 10 years of trying in my late in my late 20s i kind of gave up on sex and i realized okay this is just i'm just gonna settle for average sex i'm gonna you know my partner still wants it so we're gonna have sex so that he can enjoy it but let's just 
uh, you know, like this is just not gonna be ever anything better for me than, than what it is kind of yeah. uncomfortable where it will be painful and orgasmic experience. Mm. And this probably would have happened. Yeah, yeah, if you don't mind, yeah. I'm jump in real quick. Yeah. Because I'm interested to know like what the the juxtaposition was between, you know, because if you were brought up in such a religious household and you have such in a religious community and then yeah. being raped, like that is the like the both furthest extremes you can get. Like not that being raped mm. is ever a good thing, but when somebody has such strong religious beliefs that makes somebody feel like how you know, like how bad sex is or like just everything to do with like sex and relationships and touching. And then you get violated like that. That's already so extreme. Like I imagine like it is that much more extreme for somebody like you. Like what was the narrative? Like how did you ever get to like want to hold somebody's hand or like kiss them or hug them or be close to them? Like you think there would just be like very big walls and barriers put up at that point in time Mm. in your life but it doesn't really seem like there was or like not for a long period of time or they weren't significant like you give us a little insight there yeah well i was still still getting a lot of love from men so yeah in the bedroom things were uncomfortable and i felt like my my whole body was kind of saying no 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 let's not have sex whereas my head was saying no no he wants sex let's let's do the sex thing Mm -hmm. but outside of the bedroom I was in beautiful relationships with very beautiful men who were treating me well, who were loving me, who were, you know, like I really enjoyed the kissing, the, the, you know, being held by a man, you know, being, being caressed, being loved, you know, like I, I enjoyed all of that. And so even though I had this kind of early either abusive or limiting experiences in my, in my, in my sex life, it's, I still really valued being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to be loved, which which is kind of at the base of you know like our heart desire in a way. Like people mm-hmm. want to be loved, people want to love, and we really also really might be a that. part of your religion to like you know being so religious and being so faith based because you know like you really connected with that. I should have a man. I should be intimate with this person. Like this, like you can see how you know religion and faith could have played on both sides of that card for you, but. You know, and also to you, like, it seems like, like forgiveness obviously came into that to some degree because, you know, like we only going to release that kind of trauma, not only if we forgive ourselves, but if we forgive the other, you know, person or perpetrators too. So like, it just, it really seems like you've just, because you can tell, you can clearly see in the energy of your body, you don't hold angst or trauma against it. Even when you talk about it now, like it doesn't seem like a hostile or traumatic experience for you. Like you've really done a great job of dealing with the emotions associated with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, it took some time and, you know, it took me a few years and a lot of healing to really get out of this kind of traumatized, wounded, constricted, I guess, toxic energy around sex. But in the end of it, as I was learning more about myself, my sexuality, sexuality in general, I really came to understand that these men never meant to hurt me, you know, even the, the kind of more abusive ones, like what was happening for them was their own, I guess, sexual repression was playing out and they were just unable to show up for me sexually the way that I, I, I wanted and needed them to. And that's okay. They were, that's all they could offer me at that point. So, you know, I, I never blamed them because I recognized that they didn't know any better. Yeah. 
that they had their own trauma and, and repressive, I guess, I, ideas and, and experiences, you know, maybe in a very different way to, to me as a, as a woman. But for men, especially for young men growing up in a, in a religious, very religious, religious country, which Poland is, um, there is a lot of shaming mm. and guilt imposed on young people um but you know i guess particularly men in a, in a way that when men when young men discover their sexuality they obviously want to experience it and explore it all by themselves or with a with a woman and you know when a young teenage boy masturbates at home there's i guess always that fear for him that he's gonna be caught and shamed for it maybe in some instances he does get caught and shamed for it which you know is very it's a horrible experience to have in your body. So when you're masturbating, when you're having this beautiful pleasure in your body and then you're shamed for it, it's like the whole body contracts around it. It's like, you know, shame is such a horrible, low level, like low kind of, I guess, energy or, or, or emotion to have around your sexuality. So when the, when the two are linked, mm. the beautiful sexual pleasure with shaming with guilt with embarrassment around your sexual experience and around touching yourself or expressing or having an erection or expressing your sexual desire then this will energetically also create trauma inside of inside of this man and he will be unable to really handle his arousal his erections his sexuality properly so he might you know sort of turn into a bit of an abusive partner in a relationship sexually which is what was happening for me then. I just kept being with partners who were kind of making, I, I, I don't even want to call it making love to me because that wasn't what those nothing loving about the sex act itself. It was more of a porn style yeah. sexual experience where my body was completely not prepared for it, not ready, not aroused, not lubricated. Kind of, so hence experiencing all this painful friction from the penetration Yet they didn't know what to do about that, how to actually work with my body, how to prepare my body for a beautiful orgasmic experience. And neither did I. So we were both lost. And it's in interesting reality. You know, like a, a few of the things that you said there of just about like like the shame or confusion around it. Because like I look back to like when I was young, not only did it like nobody really talk about it, like yeah. your parents don't really talk about it. The awkward, weird sex ed classes in school, like you're like everybody's too busy giggling not paying attention like the teacher doesn't want to be teaching it you know then you get into well your palms are gonna get hairy if you masturbate or you're gonna go blind or at school dances when your testosterone level starts to peak up and then all of a sudden you get aroused and you get an erection everybody's like oh gross look at him you know he's got like you know like a tentus pants like these are all things that like i know boys go through you know but like there's no, and all of them are associated with shame. Like, you know, like there's, and I think because there's a little bit more of like, um, like a physical outward base that like, you know, people can see it and understand it more. And especially even, you know, like with men, you know, like I look at it because I've played sports my whole life. There's always the narrative of like every guy, like comparing his penis size to the other guy that all of a sudden the girls find out who has like bigger penis because all the locker room talk, like there's always all these situations. It's such your formidable years when, you have no idea about like sexuality, but you, as boys, you're kind of at the peak or starting at the peak of that, but everything is revolved around shame. I didn't even really think about it before, but like, like it is mm -hmm. like shame and confusion. Yeah, exactly. 
And then that leads into sexual problems, into premature ejaculation, you know, into, into even sometimes struggle to actually orgasm or enjoy pleasure during sex. Because when there is such deep layer of shame sort of linked to your sexual experience, that can, that's going to lead to your whole body constricting around that. And you can't have a great sexual experience when you kind of energetically are, energetically are withdrawing from it and backing away from it or constricting in it. Mm-hmm. So how did you get to the point from, you know, like in being entrenched in this religious community, you know, going through rape, understanding, and then how did you decide to get full-fledged in? Because we talked about this briefly before, like you're getting into a, an arena when you publicly put your hand up and say, I'm not only going to talk about sex, I'm going to talk about it in detail, I'm going to talk about it in like in every way, like it's a very publicly exposing way to be able to put yourself in probably one of the most public ways you can like expose yourself, put yourself out there for criticism, you know, because people mm. want to shame what they don't understand or people want to criticize yeah. what they don't understand. And everybody wants to put up that wall, you know, and even like everybody in my life, when they knew that like we were doing this podcast, say, I'm like, I can't even guarantee that I'm going to be able to talk my way through this properly because I have never really openly talked about somebody or about sex with somebody for an hour in this context ever so I'm like how am I like I've had lots of conversations but never like this I'm like am I gonna be able to even handle this conversation it was really like it's been on my mind for days because like I just don't know I have no feedback to go from right Mm, wow yeah that's amazing yeah because I talk about sex daily (laughs) literally every day right now which is so beautiful and I love that but you to answer your question how I went from where I was to where I, where I am right now, I did have a, a very painful and traumatic wake-up call, you know? So I was in a relationship. I was having this unpleasant sex. I was kind of putting up with, the, with sex, thinking that this is, this is it for me. I'm just gonna, this is just gonna be my sex life for the rest of my life. And then one morning I, um, I had sex with my partner and things didn't kind of go to plan because afterwards I was in so much pain that I actually had to be taken to the emergency room. So we literally had sex, like first thing in the morning, we finished, he got up, he went to the, the, the bathroom or kitchen, I, I know, I can't remember. But anyways, I'm lying there in bed, just taking a few more minutes for myself. And suddenly this horrible pain just started ex- kind of exploding throughout my whole pelvis. It was like my whole pelvis just kept exploding with this pain that just kept getting worse and worse and worse so I'm lying there like really scared thinking okay something's really wrong I'm either dying or like my my sexual area my intimate area or my you know my my pelvis is broken like there's something seriously wrong with me you know in either in either way so I called my partner he came back and I said look I'm in a lot of pain I think you need to call an ambulance and he said whoa an ambulance could take an hour <laughs> to arrive whereas there's an emergency room nearby so just get dressed and we're gonna go and I was like I, I couldn't even get up like I crawled out of bed on all fours dragged myself to the wardrobe and put some clothes on and then dragged myself to the front door where my partner finally saw me and he, he understood that okay this is really serious so he helped me out the car he took me to the emergency room where I just kept you know, throughout this whole, this whole thing was such an ordeal because I was in so much pain. I was probably in more pain than I had ever been in my entire life. And I had no idea what was happening, which is 
super, super scary. So yeah. anyways, finally got to the emergency room. They, they kept me waiting for a while, which I was so frustrated with. But finally, they took me in and uh, it turned out that it was a muscle spasm. So wow. nothing was really wrong. Well, that's what they told me, that his penis hit a muscle somewhere inside of me and that muscle went into spasm and it just kept spasming so strongly that it was just sending me into such excruciating pain. So they gave me muscle relaxants and, you know, within half an hour, it was all over. But on the way back home from the emergency room, I realized that I can never, ever, ever have sex the same way again. I can never again risk being in so much pain and yes. being sent to the emergency room after having sex. Like this was, this was my breaking point. This is where I realized I actually, I can't just keep going. I have to do something. And since and just, sex is, I just have one like, question. And like, I don't know if this is like too much. Like, was it like positionally or was it just like, was it, was there nothing really like, like taboo or crazy, but like what you guys were doing, like this was just kind of like, I wouldn't say like run of the mill sex, but like, like there was just, you know, like nobody was hanging from the roof or swinging from the pole. Like it just, it's like the, you know, because like the thing is like it, I've never heard a story like that ever from mm. anybody. And I don't know if many people would even talk about it if it's happened to them, but yeah. you know, like I would assume that you probably haven't heard very many stories from other no. females, but like that too. So like, like, was it just because of like all this, like tension and like this angst inside you from these experiences that you've had is kind of like a buildup or like what do you think it was mm. or were you getting to that and I just cut you off like I just my brain is just like yeah yeah no I understand well positionally it was um a reverse cowgirl position which is basically woman on top but facing away from the from the partner so facing towards his feet which you know is a so not terribly challenging position but it involves quite deep penetration. Mm. Um, so I guess that was the only thing about it, about the position itself, that it was quite deep penetration. But on the other hand, it was really just years of accumulated tension, like probably a lot of chronic tension inside of my genitals, inside of my body, a lot of this kind of energy, almost like energetic holding inside of me. In the world of sexuality, we call it armoring. It's like the body energetically armors itself, which is basically like it creates this kind of tensing or energetic hardness. It's not physical hardness. It's sort of more energetic and, and um, tension-related hardness, like muscular tension, where it's trying to protect itself from the impact of the stimulation. So over so many years, I just had so much armoring in my body and I just kept sort of, it's like my body just kept subconsciously fighting off the, the penetration, the, the, the penis. Like my head was saying, yes, he's my boyfriend. He's got the right to have sex with me. So I, so I need to let him. But my whole body was saying, no, we're tensing up. We're creating this armor, energetic armor in order to protect the body from yeah. the sexual experience. So I guess, that was the accumulate like years of armoring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah and that makes my, sense. I yeah. think like like our bodies just do that in general too, right? You know, like if there's like mm. a weak bone, we you know build more like a kind of like a calcium blast there. You like a like a band aid, like like emotionally we do that. Like you know we do that in, in like why wouldn't we do that sexually? Like I 
I, I think it just mm. makes perfect sense. Like if you, if we know yeah. anything about the body, like in every single capacity we could think of, we know the body would do that same thing. So it only makes yeah. perfect sense for somebody who's been in all these scenarios that you've been in, in, in your life up until that point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Yeah. So that was the, I, I, I understand that that was the reason why my body reacted this way and why it just went into this, I guess, crisis and mm-hmm. created this muscle spasm situation. So yeah. what happened? So I had to, that? like, where, where did you go? Like you said, you're in the car on the way home thinking like, what is going to happen from here on in? Like, what's the, what's stage two of this experience? Yeah. Well, back then, uh, there wasn't a lot of, sexual information online I guess or I wasn't really finding much at that point but I thought okay well I don't really know where to go to learn how to have great sex but after some pondering and thinking I remembered the word tantra I didn't know what tantra was I just thought it was it had something to do with some kind of extraordinary sexual experiences that's all I knew I wasn't even so sure about that but that's kind of what it seemed that tantra was so I researched Tantra workshops and I found like an evening introduction to Tantra workshop in my area, which I was living in Melbourne back then. I went to that and I immediately fell in love with Tantra. I, like, it was like, like a bit of an awakening for me in a way that I finally, like when we were being taught about Tantra, I finally felt like I was getting answers to all of these questions that I struggled with throughout my life sexually why i couldn't orgasm why i couldn't even feel pleasure during sex why i was struggling to get aroused why i wasn't lubricating why sex seemed so um challenging for me why i felt so disconnected from my partner's experience where it seemed like he was off to some amazing land of pleasure and orgasms where i was just lying there tense in pain and disconnected you know all of that started to make sense and even though it was just an introductory workshop and i didn't really get like a lot of information from it like I felt like this is gonna this is gonna lead me to my answers this is gonna lead me to where I need to go so that's why Tantra was my first big love when it when I entered the world of conscious sexuality and sexual education so I just kept pursuing Tantra seeing tantric practitioners uh, for sessions uh, reading all the books I could about Tantra, going to all the events and workshops. And I finally, I became certified mm-hmm. as a Tantra practitioner and I started teaching Tantra. So that was the kind of beginning. I was still at that point doing my sexual healing. I was still in the process of actually becoming, um, I guess, multi-orgasmic. That took a bit of a, that took a bit more time before I could, I was able to fully heal that, that whole armoring and all that tension and get rid of all those religious blocks and and toxic beliefs about my body my genitals and my pleasure but I was slowly getting there and over time I fully became able to immerse myself in my erotic Mm -hmm. I guess experience and embrace my erotic nature and become this multi-orgasmic fully sexually activated woman and at that point, when I was uh, when I was still teaching tantra, I kind of started to realize that people who were coming to see me, they were bringing all sorts of different sexual issues and problems. And I thought that tantra wasn't always the right answer for them. So I thought I I, I wanted to get more tools and go even deeper into the into the whole area of sexuality. So I 
studied sexology. I am, um, I thought, and you know, that was like, I love, I loved it. That gave me so, like so many more tools to work with. So that was like, absolutely amazing to have sexology and sexological training on top of Tantra. And then with time, I also realized that a lot of these people were bringing sexual trauma and sexual wounding. So then I became a counselor as well mm-hmm. in order to handle this kind of uh, cases better. So in my, you know, in my work, I bring these three modalities, Tantra, sexology, and, and counseling into, into my sessions. And that's what I, into my work. And that's how I help people at the moment. So, so why, let me ask you, because like, you know, and this is why I was so interested to be able to talk to you because you are multifaceted. Like you have these different modalities that are going to allow you to be able to have full circle experience people. Um, is it just my distorted perspective or does it seem like we as a population on this planet carry really negative stigmas around sex? Like we're scared to talk about it, scared to understand it. Like it's not openly communicated. Like if you are the person with the book, you almost feel embarrassed buying it. Like you want to sign up for the course, but you don't want to be that person either. You know, like are people going to like, you know, watch or my car is going to be parked outside this, you know, place that's a little side says tantric sex on the door. And then somebody's going to see me and then I'm going to like face them. Like, like, why are we like that? Like, how did we get there? Like it, it just, because when, when I get to these, like, crossroads and all these different conversations that I have with people like yourself it's like our intuition tells us always it's wrong to feel that way and I think a lot of us understand that but we mask that but we still got here somehow and we didn't get here one day we've got here over like decades and centuries of conditioning but like why did it start how did it start why do we have such issues with something that is not only has the opportunity to be like so pure and so innocent and so connecting with like other human beings on this planet, but we couldn't keep our species alive without it either. But when it comes to like talking about it, it's just like, there's these massive blocks and barriers. Like, like what are some of the things you've learned over the years of like how and why we got here? That is such a good question. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're right. It, it didn't, it wasn't just one little thing. It took, took decades. And I feel like it's probably started in the Victorian era mm-hmm. where we're kind of, people started to create this very Puritan kind of, or, you know, prude kind of energy or conditioning and way of thinking that this is the right way, etc. And then over the years, over the decades, really, you know, like different religions kind of picked up on it that, if you want to be a good person or an enlightened person or a good human being, you have to go that way. And if you want to have sex, it's like the opposite way. So it's your choice. So, so many of different like religions, philosophies, social systems kind of have been training us and conditioning us for so many years now that sex is bad, that there's something wrong with you if you want to enjoy that area of your life or like really indulge even, even in it. Then, you know, indulge in it and that makes you a pervert or a slut these are like horrible shameful labels to put on people for embracing a very healthy and natural aspect of who they are and the reason for all of that i feel is control yeah it's not easy to control society where the members are 
Whereas where you take that sexual fulfillment and satisfaction away and you tell them that they've been bad or that they're going to burn in hell or that they're going to be shamed for being sexual, it's much easier than to, to control them. It's also much easier to sell to them. You know, when people think that they are inherent, there's something inherently wrong with them, they will seek that, I guess, uh, direction or control of some kind of uh, authority figures. Mm-hmm. Whereas the truth is, we don't need that. Like within all of us, we have an inner compass that tells you what's right, what's wrong. You know, we have that kind of inner morality within us. We don't need somebody else to tell us how to live our lives. Mm-hmm. But being sexually repressed or shame for our sexuality puts us in a position of being lost and confused because you have these strong desires inside of your body. It's like you can't control them. It's like these are your basic biological functions of your body, yet you're being told so strongly that that there is something so wrong with you for following them. So you find yourself in this ultimate confusion and you kind of have to go looking for somebody else sort of almost telling you, okay, this is how you live your life. This is where you go every Sunday. You put your money in our basket or you follow this kind of rules or, you know, or you buy this kind of product because there's something so wrong with you. It's, it's control. Yeah. I really believe it's about control. And it's really hard to be able to rally people together when they're happy. I actually find like, that's kind of like a foundation. What I have found in like all these different areas. And like, this is no different. Like we say to because when you are taking people's sexuality away from them, like it's taking a, a portion of their happiness away. Because again, when you enter yeah. the control and it's saying like, there's something wrong with you, you should feel ashamed. Like that means that you shouldn't be happy about this. You should find no pleasure in this. And it yeah. goes against everything of what your body naturally wants to feel. So then again, it's like something wrong with you. Please fix me. Please fix me. I am wrong. Like I'm having these impure thoughts. And you know, even like what you said, it's like, you know, and, and I say this with a grain of salt, it's just everybody's personal beliefs, but it's like saving yourself until you're married or saving yourself for that one person. Like you just think like this is, and this is like your greatest gift. It's not that, you know, we should devalue these things per se, depending on like what you personally want to believe in. But again, you can see that if you step outside of that lane, there's the fear of, well, what if I don't want to save that for one person? What if I don't want to wait till I'm married? And like, what if I want to have like, multiple sexual partners or anything along these lines like what if that just doesn't fit me which is the majority of people like on this planet who are just allowed to be able to freely think freely express themselves and just be the human being that they are because these are primal connections with us like these aren't something that you have to think about or condition like you are born with raging hormones that you cannot control there's a reason why you know like young men they are like that you know like women in in what kind of 35 to 45 you know kind of like right before menopause, their hormones crank up, they become like raging, you know, kind of like hormone those two where they want to have sex all the time. And we have, we can't control that. Like that is just a part of who we are from our genes and our genetics. Absolutely. And one of the, you know, one of the big messages in my, in my business and what, what I teach is that sex is natural, healthy, and utterly beautiful. And, you know, I say that so strongly because it goes against all of this conditioning and because it almost shocks people to hear what sex is beautiful, natural, healthy. Oh my God. Yeah. And it feels right. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You know, it really feels like when we really feel into these, these notions, you know, we recognize inside of ourselves that they are actually true, that this is correct. And, you know, I, I have absolutely no problem with people, how people choose to live their lives. As long as you're not hurting anybody, you can do whatever you want with your body, with your sexuality, with your, you know, with your life. But where I want, where I do sort of ask people to question things is around, is that really what you believe? Is that really what feels true to you? Or is that some kind of appropriated idea that maybe was forced upon you or pushed upon you or just conditioned into your system at some point of your life? Yeah. Like that's the question I'm asking. If you want to be monogamous, if you want to wait uh, until with sex until marriage, there's nothing wrong with that, as long as that's what you truly, authentically want mm-hmm. and desire. But if underneath is toxic beliefs, limiting conditioning, some kind of wounding, or you know, or any any kind of repressive ideas, then that's what I help people to question so that they can get to the authentic core of how they truly want to express themselves sexually in their lives. And like, how, how do people like, they, how do you get to the point where you start to feel comfortable pulling off those onions? Because like, it's not a comfortable situation, like digging into ourselves in general. We, everybody kind of like, going to pump the bricks on this a little bit. But then you take the thing that is like the most vulnerable to everybody, which is sex. And you're like, let's start peeling some onion skins away. I imagine that's a terrifying process for most people when they come to to see you because even getting to there is scary. But then all of a sudden, like, I'm going to talk about this with a stranger, even if they make me feel comfortable, like, is really like emotionally exposing. Like, is that a difficult or a difficult process for most people to walk through or do you feel like by the time they get to see you, they've kind of broke a few of those layers off and they have a lot more of a layer of comfort talking about it? Well, for me personally, well, first of all, yeah, a lot of people struggle with these topics. That's just normal because of the conditioning we've been through. But then what I do in my sessions is like, I feel like my first and most, almost most important job is to make them feel safe and make them trust me and that's that's what i create i'm you know i'm quite quite good at that I, I am quite good with creating that kind of safe environment where they can they can open up and also when people actually open up it's like there's this flood of information that comes out because probably this is the first time ever that they have actually discussed with someone their sex life at length what happens to me quite regularly is that i find myself in some kind of a public place like and then at an event or on a train, public transport or whatever. And if somebody learns what I do, like if they ask me, what do you do? And I tell them I'm a sex therapist, they just open up to me straight away. And right. this kind of, yeah, it can be, can be kind of a, a bit confusing at first because I feel like, okay, well, are you looking for advice here? Like, are you looking for a free session here? But, you know, in most cases, what I find is that they're just looking to finally be able to talk to someone and that's about their sex life. And that is just so beautiful and fulfilling. It's almost like, you know, finally catching that breath of fresh air. (gasps) Oh my God, I can actually talk to someone about my sex and I've, about my sex life. And I've had complete strangers opening up to me in those kind of 
random places and telling them me about their sexual issues, their sexual experiences you know, with different partners, etc. And, you know, I just, I, I feel grateful that I can provide this kind of space for people, not only in my sessions, but also with who I am generally. But it takes, I feel like this is because I myself I am, am so open in my energy around the topic of sexuality. I talk about anything. Like I, I break taboos. I, you know, I talk publicly about masturbation, about male masturbation, about, you know, orgasms, touching yourself, you know, porn. I, you know, I talk about all of that. So I guess I, like energetically, I just embrace sex as something so beautiful, natural, healthy. So others resonate with that. And they open up quite easily to me. And we do know that. And, you know, and I find those, and I think everybody has, you know, maybe, or the majority of people kind of found like that avenue where they express something and then Mm -hmm. immediately somebody feels so much more comfortable or so much within authority to be able to speak to that with them. And it is a really connective experience, but like, I would assume that when you admit to somebody that you're a sex therapist and you have all these qualifications and this is what you do for a day, people are starving for that. Like I could see that, like where people just are like this breath of fresh air. It's like, I've never, because you know, outside of you, like I have in 36 years, I've never come across like somebody who's being like a sex therapist or like specializing in, in sex or anything like that. So you know how rare that is, you know, and if it wasn't for Facebook, I would have never met you either, you know? So like, again, like it kind of shrinks that down about how like, there's no avenue because like, you know, even like what you were just talking about, like with, with masturbation, like most people are just never going to feel that that is a comfortable experience for them or something that they can feel comfortable with or like talk about or even feel okay doing. And like, where does that like come to like, how do we even get there? Because this is just with inside of us. Now this doesn't involve another person. You know, it can be in the comfort of our own home and be nobody around, but like, we just do not feel like, like this is like, that that is even like what we're comfortable with. Like, how do you think we got there again? Like, do you think this has like religious ties to it? Like non-religious ties to like, because like, mm-hmm. again, like this is the most personal experience to us and we aren't even comfortable with that either. Exactly. That's so, and it is so shocking because it is still that deep, almost subconscious at this stage conditioning that even when you're alone, when nobody, when you know nobody will catch you, nobody will shame you, nobody will look at you like weird for touching yourself. Even in, in those moments when you can just take your time and just be so luxurious in your self-pleasuring experience, when you can just give yourself all of these orgasms and all these this amazing or erotic orgasmic experience, even then these, um, I guess, limiting patterns come into it. You know, they're so strong in our system that we cannot separate them from who we are sexually. And, you know, until we do the work, until we do the healing, until we bring that deep awareness into our sex life, which for many people takes, you know, quite a lot of time. For me personally, it took about two years to really liberate myself and heal myself sexually. But they're that strong. Do you see like kind of like a tide shifting? Like like when you look at like where you where you were at when you first got this and just kind of hearing public opinion, or do you think you're in a bubble now? So you kind of maybe have a distorted perspective of it. Like, like, do you feel that people in general are getting a little bit more comfortable with their sexuality and being able to talk about it, express it, communicate it, you know, be a part of it and experience it? Or do you feel like it, we're kind of stuck somewhere or like, 
what do you think would help us, you know, being able to like really talk about like sexual experiences or just like sex in general with everybody? Cause it's not like most people can just go out in, you know, around like a group setting, you know, maybe if you're with like a bunch of guys or if you're just, you know, with your girlfriends, you know, like you'll talk about individuals like that, but like nobody really like gets together with friends and has like in-depth conversations about like sex and sexuality. And there's no reason why we should be able to do that. But it would seem weird if somebody would just table like, hey, well, why don't we talk about like, like sex tonight and just like some of like the stigmas we have behind it. Like the, the room would go silent. You'd hear crickets chirping immediately. Like, like what do you think of the things that can, like help us with that and kind of turn this corner? There's definitely more and more people turning to those um, pro-sexual communities. They are, you know, they are workshops and events run by people, by, by specialists, by, you know, sex experts, tantra practitioners, etc. So that kind of community is definitely growing and becoming more and more accessible for, for anybody, particularly here in Australia. It's very, uh, you know, it's like that kind of sexual conscious community is pretty strong in all the, in all the big cities. But I also still come across people who are still very repressed and who do struggle with these conversations strongly. Also in Europe, this is a big problem as well. I come from Poland and still when going back there, I almost can't imagine even myself having these conversations with people because they would just feel so uncomfortable that you know I would need to do a lot of preparatory work to get them into that space of really opening up sexually. Yeah. So I feel like generally there's definitely a shift happening and people are turning into this pro-sexual trends and, and, and ideas. But as a collective, we still have a, wo- a lot of work to do mm-hmm. in that area. And so, yes, yeah, sex therapists and tantra practitioners will have, will have a lot of work on their hands for, for many, many years to come. Where, where do you think like hiding our bodies and being shameful of our bodies comes into play? Because like that is like, and I say this story to people like all the time, just because I find where I was in junior high school. So junior high school here, which is seven, eight and nine. Um, I remember the first girl who wore a tank top to school. She had big breasts naturally, obviously like we're in grade, we were in grade eight at this one time. She wore a tank top to school in the summer. And then where I come from, you know, you're talking like 30, 35 degrees. It's hot in the summertime. She was a slut. For the entire school she never even never had a boyfriend never slept with anybody never anything but because she wore a tank top like she was the school slut forever mm-hmm. like that's just the way it was it was i will never forget these things but again like i feel obviously we've come a long way since then you know but i i really feel like a base of all this is just like when we are shameful of our bodies and what our bodies like represent then that's when we have to you know like hold their bodies, hide their bodies, you know, and not allow somebody to be able to see it. But then that's also on the flip side, the spinoff of that is it seems like then when we hypersexualize a body, when we do see it, because it becomes like this forbidden thing that should not be seen, not be touched, not be experienced. And it just seems like a really confusing environment to, to navigate. Like, do you think that there's a base there that when we become more comfortable and just, you know, like, guys walking around their shirts off and it's just somebody walking around their shirt off or, you know, like a woman being topless or, you know, like a woman in a small bikini or like something like that where it's a body and like, yes, it's sexually attractive, but it's not 
what we are making it out to be because like it's not either a parka or a thong bikini like there's a lot of yeah. distance in between that exactly yeah absolutely this is hold on this is such a such a good point because bodies aren't sexual in themselves like you look at the body it's just a body you can make it sexual if you experience attraction and explore it sexually etc but a body like we've sexualized the body so much that now somebody who just cherishes and cherishes and embraces their body as, as beautiful and sexy is seen as scary to us so we need to discredit them the way that kids in your school discredited that that girl wearing a tank top we need to sort of shame them push them away as being wrong as being a slut or a, or a pervert or somebody in the, in the wrong so that we can validate our point of view mm-hmm. because it's so scary and so challenging for somebody to just break through these taboos and go i'm gonna love and enjoy my body this is this is a scary concept but I actually, you know, when I entered the world of Tantra and, and sacred sexuality, I started going to retreats where clothing was optional. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a lot of time around naked people. And at first, like when you first enter this kind of environment, it's a bit shocking and a bit confronting and a bit confusing. Okay, well, am I supposed to like, am I going to get aroused here? I'm supposed not to stare at people. Is this going to be weird or awkward? Literally within one day, everything becomes normal. Mm-hmm. You see all of these naked people and you start yourself walking around naked just because it feels comfortable. Yeah. And because all of these people, they're just bodies. There's nothing bad, wrong or shameful about them. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful, that, that is such a beautiful shift to experience when you, start, when you actually realize a body is beautiful. I don't need to hide it. You know, yeah, I know we have laws at this point and we're not allowed to walk around naked. But that just is indicative of how repressed we are, that we have to make it illegal mm-hmm. for someone to really embrace the beauty of their body in, um, in public. You know, because like, we're so, we're so, seem to be so worried about kids. Oh my God, this is gonna, this is gonna like ruin the kids. They're gonna see people's genitals and see people's naked bodies. Kids don't know that they're naked. Yeah. We teach them that they're naked and that they have to cover up and feel shame around their bodies. Kids don't know that. They're so beautiful in their innocence. They have no problem with seeing, you know, people's, other people's genitals or naked body parts. We teach them that this is wrong. So we are behind, uh, we adults and our adult conditioning is behind the shaming of the bodies, which then translates into issues with our sexuality because if it's not okay to be naked, if it's not okay to feel okay about my body, if, not, if it's not okay to feel okay about my genitals, how am I supposed to have beautiful sexual experiences? See, and I think you just brought up like a really good point about children because children see through almost everything. Like, and like mm. they just don't hyper analyze like what we would as adults. And we transfer our feelings and our emotions onto them, like them at five or eight or 10, like you're going to perceive this, but how is it that we can convince ourselves and be okay with that children can see through color and religion, but we yeah. think they can't see through a naked body? Because it's exactly. true. Though. Like, you know, you look at a kid and they just say, like, racism is not, um, is not born, it's bred. Is that the, that's the, the narrative and stuff? So, like, if yeah. we teach our children to be, like, racist, then we also, again, like you said, like, we teach them to be ashamed of our bodies, teach them that, you know, we should be called, like, and again, like, you know, it's just funny how we compartmentalize like our thought process and how uneducated 
we are like as adults how we keep spinning this same message down generation after generation but like you mm. said it's getting better all the time right exactly yeah yeah totally you know like when i was a child and i remember watching movies with my with my with my with my family with my parents and whenever like a sex scene would come up i i could feel like my parents wouldn't say anything but they would tense up there was this yeah. scary tension in the room and so like i didn't know that what was happening on tv was wrong until that the tension would just be there every time and that's how i learned oh my god so people getting naked in bed together that's that's wrong and that's creating you know it was it seemed like it was so bad nobody would even talk about it it was yes. that bad yeah yeah it's just amazing um i know that you got to wrap things up here so i'm gonna i'm gonna pause there this is why i tell you how these podcasts end up being like a couple hours because i feel like we're like <laughs> way up here like we didn't even like bring it down but um I would love to be able to, at some point in time in the future, be able to carry on the, this conversation with you if you're open to it. Um, but for now, like I said, I know that you have to go. So why don't you drop some like social media handles, like URLs, and just how people can get a hold of you and just everything you want uh, you want people to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the best place, uh, I guess you'll be linking underneath there. Yeah, the social media, and the, the, the website. The best place to find me is just my website, helenanista.com. And my social media handles are just Helen Anista on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and everything will be listed in your, uh, in the description underneath the, the episode and stuff. And uh, I just wish we had like another hour or two to really get into the, the weeds of this and stuff, but um, hopefully sometime in the future. And I just really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Thank you. 